The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 110 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got Peanate and Pooty and Ben Emery in the studio today. We got a third <laughs> in the studio. We what do. is up with that? Yeah. So uh, for any of you who've been following uh, all the changes in Rebel Alliance Media, you may have read some blog posts and seen us refer to Ben Emery, one of two Emerys who are blogging on our website. But uh, Ben is the pastor of Northside Church in Kitchener or Waterloo? They're all kind of interwoven. Yeah, we're up in Waterloo, kind of halfway between Waterloo, St. Jacobs. For our American... For anyone who For our American listeners, it's a small city north of the only one you actually know, Toronto. Right, yeah. (laughs) South, sorry. Um, Yeah, so Ben Emery uh, is a pastor at uh, Northside Baptist Church. He blogs with us. He's been part of the Rebel Alliance team for a number of months now. We've wanted to get him on here for a while to introduce you to him. So thanks for finally joining us, Ben. My pleasure. What do you think of uh, Garage Mahal? Wonderful. Yeah. Far exceeded my expectations. We know. (laughs) It it generally does. Yeah, generally (laughs) does. We don't exceed anyone's expectations, (laughs) but the studio does a great job. Yeah. This is, we we often say we're uh, we're the least impressive part of the Rebel (laughs) Alliance media. Dave is number one. Garage Mahal is number two. You know, Erica Van Brimmer is probably number three. And then it just gets worse from there. I feel like you just started a a fight in their marriage. You were just like, because Erica's number three, where's Grant? (laughs) Was mustaches number four. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so Ben Emery is a friend of the show, uh, a friend, a partner in ministry in, in a similar area. He's just about an hour away. Uh, we've preached at each other's churches. We've uh, done that kind of stuff, but we're doing this whole Rebel Alliance thing. Kindred spirits, right? Absolutely. So... Uh, we're, we're not going to do a whole, whole lot, uh, special that Ben with Ben here. We're just going to kind of do our regular thing and Ben's just going to join us because, uh, he is, uh, he's part of the rebellion. He's, he's one of the rebels. So we're just going to do a regular episode, but Ben's going to be here with us. So it'll probably be a better episode. Well, (laughs) it's very post mill of us. There used to be two. Now we've grown. There's three for the episode, right? It's very post mill. The church is expanding. Yeah, there you go. That's great. Um, okay. So, Rebel News. It's been a couple weeks, so we had to record a couple episodes together, uh, which means we're a little bit late getting to this. There's a lot of other podcasts that you might listen to or a lot of other uh, pastors who might blog who've talked about the whole thing. But I just kind of wanted to give us a chance because we haven't chatted on the podcast yet about the whole Supreme Court Kavanaugh circus. <laughs> so I feel like we got we to gotta just talk about this. I know we're getting here late to the party. He's now been confirmed. So as of recording this, I think we're three days after his confirmation, two days after his confirmation or something like that. So Kavanaugh is now uh, on the Supreme Court. 
Um, and uh, I'm just curious. I mean, we were all kind of pretty active on social media, uh, voicing some opinions, and uh, we were talking about it a little bit before the, the mics got turned on. So what do you guys think? Kavanaugh Circus, go. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let me start by saying I'm probably the most late to the party on this Kavanaugh thing of anyone. It kind of, like, I wasn't paying too much attention to it until the end of it. Okay. Um, so, like, I, I want to point that out. So if I say something, people are like, that's wrong. I'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm late to the party on this. I was uh, busy with other things and this came to this late. But And we're Canadian. And we're Canadian. <laughs> There's no, that. Here, here's, I have two points on this whole thing. My first point is every everything that went through, the FBI process, two of the witnesses that, they, that came forward, the Julie and Deborah Ramirez, both have admitted that he didn't do anything or they could be mistaken that it was actually him. Right. The FBI did six, six different checks on him as he's over progressed the years, over, yeah. the, over the years and found no evidence to support this. So I am not saying he, he didn't do this. I'm not saying he, he should be like uh, the, the woman's lying or any, anything about this, uh, these allegations. All I'm saying is that there's no proof. So at this point, we can't punish somebody for no proof because right. that's our system. Right. That's the right thing. If there's no proof... There's, there's nothing there. Yep. So why shouldn't he get up confirmed, confirmed to this? My second point about, about this whole thing that I was, I'm super upset about is this happened 36 years ago. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're a doctor who lives in California. I'm talking about Dr. Ford now who's successful, outspoken, well-beloved. Brett Kavanaugh was a name nobody knew 10 years ago. So if, if this had actually happened, you could have easily raised these concerned, cons- this concern at that time and had them go through the process like they've done now and get him get justice. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I understand sometimes there's difficult coming forward. And I and I get that 36 years is a long time, especially when you live half a country away. So why did it take 36 years to conveniently happen right before he's nominated for the Supreme Court right. before this becomes an allegation? Because it lends to the fact that this is fake and it's fake news. And I don't like saying that, but I don't want to say the, the lady's a liar. I don't want to say that at all. I'm sure something bad has happened to her in, at this point. But why is it taking 36 years for this to happen? And I can only say it's the reason it's coming forward now is political gain, nothing more. That's certainly what it seems like. I got a little bit of pushback, but we'll see what Ben has to say uh, on the issue. So what do you think, uh, Ben? What do well, you have to add? Well, I, I, I know... The, the thing that bothers me the most is not whether she is or isn't lying or is or isn't telling the truth. The thing that bothers me the most is that we're not even allowed to say that she might be lying. Right. That that's even an option. Um, that that it's just she she's right because she's a woman and because she said so. Um, and that's it. That that's what bothers me the most. Um, I, I I've got no skin in the game. I don't care about Kavanaugh. As honestly, yeah. I, I live here in Canada. I affects me zero. Um, but that's what bothers me, and it bothers me that um, that's what an entire political party was pushing. Uh, in in order, like you say, what it's awful hard to say. It's not political gain, political maneuvering. Um, yeah. 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 The timing just reeks. That's my, my biggest thing about it. The timing definitely reeks. So my pushback to you, Chris, would be that, um, you know, we don't understand, right. The mindset of somebody who's been sexually assaulted and 
the fact that he would become uh, one of several people in the Supreme Court, which would be the highest court in the land. It's a lifetime position, right? Suddenly, like you said, now people know his name because he just got nominated. He might have been out of sight, out of mind. She tried to forget that all this ever happened. His name comes up. She recognizes the influence he'll have. She knows he's actually a monster, and so she comes forward. And that could absolutely be the truth. But here's here's my point is that, number one, um, what we found out during the whole Senate hearings is that um, the the Democrats sat on this for at least two months, right? At, at least it was the beginning of July when the phone call first went out to her senator. And so they sat on this for several months. They did pull it out right when it would hurt the most politically. So, yeah. And somebody leaked something to right. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um, so it, it just reeks of political gain, like you said. Um, the other thing, and, and this, I guess, is my, like you said, Ben, the fact that we can't even question. I, I, I got into a, a conversation uh, with a, with somebody who basically said, I believe shocking. In, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I believe in innocent until proven guilty. But when it's a woman assault or uh, um, accusing a man of sexual assault, what does she have to gain? And that was that was the exact comment. I'm like. I mean, this is a big political move. There's yeah. a lot to gain. And, For a lot of different and people. And the truth is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And this is and this is where I'd go. Just as a Christian, you, you have to use the word of God. Deuteronomy 19, specifically the second half of Deuteronomy 19, right? Uh, verse 15 says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests, before the judges who are in office in those days. The judge shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he is meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So biblical justice would handle this in a couple of ways. Number one, the Senate shouldn't be doing this. This should be in a criminal court with a judge and a jury. That's number one. There's no there, Ted Cruz should not be sitting as an arbiter over this. Neither should Feinstein. None of these. None of these senators. This shouldn't be before politicians. This should be for be before judges and juries. That's number one. Number two. One witness can't accuse somebody. And as as Chris said, there were a couple of other women who came forward. Not all about the same different thing. incidents. Different yeah. incidents, which means that they're all one witness to one incident, and. If you weigh each one of those, it doesn't. You don't need three witnesses. the 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 reality of a sexual assault is that that's generally something that happens in private. So it's not necessarily that you need three people who witnessed it, but that's two or three pieces of evidence. One person's testimony is one piece of evidence. There are other things, including circumstantial evidence. There's all these different kinds of things that you can use to corroborate the story. The problem is, is of the four people that Dr. Ford named. Three of them just didn't corroborate her story. No, sorry. Two of them didn't corroborate her story. And the other two outright denied her story. So there's just no other evidence to convict. And so I think as Christians, no matter where you stand, which side of the aisle you're on in terms of politics, you have to allow the the impartial word of God to be what um, allows you to think through these things. And the word of God says one person against one person in a he said, said, she said story is not enough to convict. And the reality is, is that that might mean 
that a guilty person goes free. But, but if that guilty person goes free because of adherence to the word of God, that's okay. And and don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not saying that a rapist should go free. What I'm saying is that God's word needs to be followed regardless of the outcomes, right? He he dictates the means and the ends in his sovereignty. It's not for us to manipulate for the ends that we want. Little little spoiler alert for uh, uh, not not this week, but next week with the the wheat and the tares. Yeah. Right. We don't tear up the the weeds at the cost of ruining the wheat. That's right? exactly not it. worth it. Yep. Uh, the, the, you know, and, and there's a reason our justice systems are the way they are, um, assuming innocence. It's because they're based on Deuteronomy. Yep. They're based um, on biblical they, law. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And if you've ever wondered, just on a side note, uh, Christian who's listening to this, if you've ever wondered, why do we have judges? Why do we have juries? Why do we, well, even lawyers, you can look at uh, Acts 23, you can see Tertullus who um, stands in to speak on behalf of Ananias, the high priest. Um, we get everything we have in our legal system from the word of God because our country, thankfully, was founded on the word of God. And what I find so interesting and, and this is some of the conversations I got into went in this direction where I said, like, you have to acknowledge, like people would, would say, you know, male privilege, white privilege, all that kind of stuff, which I get accused of a lot. I'm white and male. So there you go. <laughs> You're white. But, <laughs> guilty as charged. But we also have to recognize the privilege that we all have by growing up in a country that's been founded on biblical principles. Yeah. Innocence men and until, women. Men and women. And so, so innocence until proven guilty is a fundamental biblical principle that we cannot lose. And uh, I saw a few things, and I would just encourage you to go on. Uh, Daily Wire ran an article on this, and there was a guy who came forward um, who is a lawyer now in the United States who shared his story of growing up in a country, I can't remember exactly where, um, grew up in a country that they don't have innocence until proven guilty. And he talked about watching the execution of innocent people. Uh, you don't want to live there. And so, you know, if, if Me Too gets what it wants, um, we're heading in a really dark direction. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong, we don't want to see women uh, assaulted. We don't want to see women taken advantage of, objectified, any of those kinds of things. We're just saying mob justice and believing accusers simply by chanting believe, believe survivors um, is not a good standard of justice. So... That's what we think of Kavanaugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. Um, we're going to jump into a break, um, but we, when we come back, we are in the middle of our parable series. So Ben is here to help us think through uh, the parable of the sower, which we'll get into right after the break. So um, if you're driving, uh, just keep driving. We'll be back in a second. Uh, if you're not driving, use this quick break as an opportunity to grab your Bible, grab your device, and we'll be in, uh, in Matthew chapter 13. You've seen those signs and billboards saying, advertise here. Now your commercial can be heard right here. The Rebel Podcast gets 10 to 15,000 hits each episode. Great weekly exposure for your business. For more information, visit rebelalliancemedia.com or email the Rebels at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Have you checked out the new Rebel Alliance Media website? rebelalliancemedia.com. It's expanded with more resources, blogs, and podcasts. 
Catch Grant and Erica Van Brimmer's Awakening Reformation podcast on Tuesdays, their Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids podcast on Mondays, and the Rebel podcast each Wednesday. Don't forget to watch the Rebels video every Friday. Read engaging weekly blog posts on theology and Christian living by Ben Emery and the Van Brimmers. Study eschatology with Pastor Nate's Eschatology 101 video series and find more resources for Bible study and worldview matters. You can help Rebel Alliance Media expand even more with your financial donation. A one-time or monthly gift would be a great help and much appreciated. Click the donate button at the top of each page. Thank you for following and supporting rebelalliancemedia.com. Welcome back. Uh, we are here. Uh, once again, it's Pudi and Ben Emery and Pnate in Garage Mahal, and we're just continuing through our parables series. When are we going to start working on the nickname? I know. We do have to. Actually, you know I, what? I was working on some earlier. Benjo? No. Benny? No. <laughs> ben M? No. Mm. I don't like any of them. Bemery? Bemery? <laughs> like, it wouldn't, wouldn't be the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. We um, gotta get a cool we'll keep one, working like, on it, though. Here's what we'll Andrew. do. So for, for any of you who are listening to this uh, and you who jump on Facebook and hit the like and the share button, which we always appreciate, uh, also go down to the comment section and give us a suggestion for a nickname for Ben Emery. There you go. I know we have some friends who listen from Northside Baptist Church, so you feel free to give, you know, share an embarrassing story as well, <laughs> and maybe something that goes along with the, the nickname. But uh, yeah, what's a good nickname for Ben Emery? If you got anything in like spoiling the pants range, <laughs> like we're right, that's right up our alley. <laughs> like, okay, so we, uh, Moving on. yeah, so we're just kind of this series, we're kind of working our way through um, specifically the parables of Matthew. And so last week we kind of started because right before Jesus gets into uh, the parables, predominantly they come in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, it's we're in Matthew 12, and we talked about the the kingdom of uh, Christ versus the kingdom of Satan, the strong man. And he tells a story, the parable of the strong man. Um, and then, so here's here's what's interesting, and this is just to kind of set everybody up because we're we're talking about the parables because we think they're actually really really important to help us engage culture. I think Jesus is, is communicating a whole lot more than just a fable or Aesop's fable, little morality stories. He's actually teaching. He's prophesying. I think he's talking about culture. I think he's talking about um, eschatology. I think there's all kinds of things that are tied into these parables. So just to set this in context for you, we we went through the the parable of the strong man and Jesus talking about the kingdom of Christ, which he said, if by the king, by the power of God I cast out demons, then you know that the kingdom has come upon you. So he's he's declared that he has brought the kingdom. He's also said talked about the kingdom of Satan, right? And so he's already set up my kingdom versus Satan's kingdom. That's what the whole parable is about. We talked about that last week. And I think Matthew chapter 13, you can you can you can imagine the disciples who like like all Jews at the time were expecting the Messiah to bring a sort of fully formed kingdom, come back like a conquering David type who's going to restore the, the the physical national power of Israel to overthrow Rome and all this kind of stuff. So uh, culturally, contextually, that's the kind of Messiah that the Jews were expecting in the first century. Um, the disciples would be no different. That's what they were expecting. And so the moment that Jesus starts to, and it says um, in chapter 4, 
4 or whatever, right before he gets into the Sermon on the Mount, that he went all through the, the towns in and around Galilee, uh, preaching about the gospel of the kingdom. And then he just talked in Matthew 12 with the Pharisees about the kingdom of God. And so Matthew 13 comes as Jesus basically looking to his disciples as if almost to say, okay, now, since I've mentioned the kingdom and we're preaching the gospel of the kingdom, now I got to tell you guys what the kingdom of God is like. So now, now we got to start doing some teaching about the kingdom because you are expecting it to come and just drop in fully formed, ready to take on Rome. That's not how the kingdom of God is going to come. It's going to come as a mustard seed. We're going to get there in a little bit. But so he starts the kingdom parables in chapter 13, and he starts with the parable of the sower. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Pudi, why don't you read it? And then we'll chat about it. Excellent. Awesome. I'm going to start at verse 3. So Matthew 13, verse 3, if you guys are following along. And he, this is Jesus, told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did, have, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So contextually what happens there is that then um, the disciples essentially ask him, why is he teaching in parables? And we, we actually talked about those verses in our intro to this series. Um, but what's interesting about this particular parable is we actually have an answer key from Jesus. So that, that works out quite well for us in our job so here today. So what are we here for? <laughs> We're just here to read the words of Jesus, <laughs> apparently. Uh, so you can jump down to verse 18 where uh, he actually gives his disciples in particular the answer key because remember he's talking to the crowds who are, who are kind of walking with him along the path here um, but it's his disciples who come to him ask why he gives them in parables and then he gives them the disciples his answer key wonderful verse 18 hear then the parable of the sower when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart this is what was sown along the path as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when the tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but, cares, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, in another case 30. All right. So that's the parable of the sower. Um, one, of, uh, one of the more popular of Jesus' parables. Um, and uh, I would say that generally this is thought of as an evangelistic passage about how Christians ought to evangelize people, but expect that the gospel will land into different types of hearts. Um, would, would you guys say that's generally how it's, how it's understood? Yeah. Almost every time you hear this preached, it's preached on like the idea of like, 
you're at a big conference, thousands of people, a thousand people comes forward and you know, 25% of them are going to be committed <laughs> Christians. 25 are going to fall away. 25. <laughs> and you don't worry about that yeah. because they've all made a confession, but only you really care about the 25 who, who right. made good. Cause they're using this as a, it's a salvific verse. Right. right. Really so, right. okay. So there's a couple things that I think are true. I, one of, one of the things I think we have to recognize is Jesus is a master teacher, which means that his parables will work on a multitude of levels, right? They're, they are, there's going to be application in different ways. And I think that's okay. The, the Jews actually had a, um, a kind of a, a thought of scripture that I've always found fascinating where they talk about scripture as a jewel, right? So when you think about it, just think about a diamond. And when you look at a diamond and you move it around, the light ref- refracts and reflects off it in different ways. And every time, every angle you look at that diamond at uh, reflects light differently and looks different. And so scripture works on a multitude of levels because we serve an infinitely wise God. A God will we'll never plumb the depths of any of scripture, but we certainly do our best. Hmm. So I'm not saying that that's not a um, a plausible option yep. or application of this passage, but I don't it's think not it's not the worst one I've heard. <laughs> there, what's the worst <laughs> one you've heard, Ben? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's uh, definitely used in a very uh, sort of Arminian yes um, application, right. I guess you could say. 100%. So yeah. it's like, you know, everybody chooses how they respond, yeah. right? For sure. There's definitely that. So there's a couple things I just want to go over um, just to make sure that we are all on the same page. So first of all, it's easy for us, especially city city folk who might be listening to this, um, who, who don't necessarily understand some of the agrarian um, analogies here, right? Jesus is talking to a bunch of farmers and fishermen who lived in a very agrarian society, these sorts of um, stories would have been really common to them. In fact, it's it's not unthinkable to think that as he's sitting, standing there, walking, whatever, talking, that there is a farmer somewhere in the distance that he can actually just point to as he's telling this story, right? It's, it's not outside the realm of possibility. That's where they were. Um, and so... Some, but some things get lost on us. So just to understand kind of um, in Jerusalem... Um, first of all, recognize that um, because of Old Testament law, um, the way farmers planted their fields in Israel was was slightly different. They were actually commanded uh, to leave footpaths in the middle of their fields for the travelers. Just a couple of chapters earlier than this in Matthew 13, I think it's in, in chapter maybe 10 or something like that, uh, Jesus gets into trouble with the Pharisees, you remember, because his disciples are picking the grains as they're walking along the footpaths. That's because um, Israelite farmers were were commanded not to harvest the edges of their fields so that um, people who are traveling or the poor or the sojourners uh, could could pick the grains along the edge. And so those those paths that were through farmers' fields would have been walkways because everybody was walking wherever they were going. And so the, the ground would have been, it, because it's not just that this soil is harder than others, it's that this is a footpath. There's no way for the sea to penetrate yeah. through this footpath. So that's when he's talking about the hard soil that can't be penetrated by a seed. This is kind of what he's talking about. When he's talking about the rock, uh, what's interesting, he's not talking about soil that has some rocks in it. In Israel, and large portions of Israel, in fact, there's limestone that's about you know two feet under the surface of, of the um, soil. So that you know, farmers wouldn't know that there's limestone just a few feet underneath. They would plant some crops that would grow up really fast, 
because they the roots don't go down any deeper and as soon as the roots stop going down the plant shoots up but um, the roots only have so far to go so they might be thinking oh this is the best crop ever but then the roots can't get any deeper so they can't go up anymore so he's talking to people about very like uh, relevant things that they would know about the land in which he's he's talking to them about but notice that in all of those analogies so picture a, f- a field in israel right now a farmer a farmer's f- field in israel you don't have to shut your eyes booty it's okay <laughs> um, the footpaths aren't the main part nor is the limestone right when you're looking at a field the fee- the, the crops are the biggest part the footpaths only make up a, a tiny portion of it so when you when you talk about like 25 percent and 25 percent and 20 he's still talking about crops that are the the majority of the crop here is in good soil which which i think is sometimes lost on us we'll get to that next week when we talk about the wheat and the darnel as well um where so many people in the way that they think they understand this they're just screwing things up so if we think that like narrow is the path to salvation not many choose god and people you know armenians will say that all the time and they'll come to a passage like this and say see there's not much good soil it's like actually look at israel there's a lot of really good soil it's actually this is why it was the land flowing with milk and honey. There's a lot of good soil. (laughs) There is some limestone and there's the footpaths that God commanded us to to keep. And there are, you know, birds of the air can get their, their beaks on some uh, seeds. But for the most part, this is, this is mostly soil. Um, Okay. So if we're not going to take this as, as just individual hearts, so let's just walk through that. Generally speaking. Okay. People who have hard hearts, right? Hard hearts to the gospel for whatever reason, they're the footpath people. They got hard hearts, so they're not going to respond to the gospel. Um, Other people who the birds of the air are going to come and snatch them. And then people who look like Christians, and then they care more about the world and riches and whatever else or circumstances come along and choke them out. And so they're not real Christians. And then there's good soil. Hey, those are the people who are actually Christians. So that's the way most people understand this, uh, this parable. What would you say to that, Ben? Do you, uh, do you agree well, with that? Well, you, you said early on I mean, that like, this isn't necessarily individualistic. Yeah, so how- like you said, I it's it's I think that that's applicable mm-hmm. to the text because um, when we're talking about groups, right? Groups are made up of individual people. Um, so yep. even if we are, and and I would say that this is talking about uh, groups of people more so than individuals, at least in its immediate context. Um, but yeah, groups are made up of individuals, so you you can you can make that um, application, and and I think that's okay as long as you don't make that the main or only application. Um, but I I'm, I think what we what we often don't do is is think about who Jesus actually is talking to at the time. Who are the people that he's addressing, um, and where might they fit into these categories, and what groups would you know, might they be? Yep. I think that's, yeah. I think that's perfect. So, so let's think about this for a second. So, um, first of all, notice in verse 19, when anyone hears, so hear then the parable of the sower, verse 18. So he's saying, this is what this parable is about. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the what? Kingdom. Kingdom. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. So, in each case, this isn't just about how hearts respond to the gospel. This is about how hearts respond to the word the of, the kingdom, of the kingdom, the yeah. message of the kingdom of God, the message that Christ has come, the Messiah is here, and he set up his kingdom on earth. That's, that's the message. That's the context of this whole thing. Jesus gives us that answer key. 
So first of all, he's saying, um, and, and notice what he says here, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, so this isn't just about Satan coming and snatching. He does talk about how the birds of the air uh, represent the evil one. But notice when, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, what did he just say to the disciples when, when they said, why do you speak to people in, king, in parables? So that they won't understand. 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 <laughs> so, so that some people, so won't, some people understand. won't understand. Yeah, and so I, it, it's, you know, what Jesus is essentially saying here is that some people have not been made to understand it. These aren't people from my kingdom, right? These are the people who are of their father, the devil, right? These are the people who hear the word of the kingdom and immediately reject it. Immediately it's lost on them. Uh, I think he's, I think in, in this particular case, I think he's talking about Pharisees. I think he's talking about the people who, no matter how he articulates the kingdom, there are people who are going to be against it. There are going to be people who are immediately opposed to it. I think he's, I think he's talking about the Pharisees here. You go through and, and uh, he talks about, uh, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So here you think about people like the guy who says, Jesus, I'll come and follow you. Just let me go home and bury my father first, right? And he says, let the dead bury their own dead. This is, this is like the people who, who come to Jesus and, and um, you know, say, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then when Jesus actually talks about what, is, what it's actually going to cost, right? These, these, are the, these are the people who are enthusiastic about the teaching of Jesus until maybe they count the cost. These are the people who are enthusiastic about it, but it doesn't last long. The, the minute they recognize it's going to take more yeah, well, and I think another problem we have with this is sometimes we take Jesus's parables and like, okay, so he's talking about uh, sowing seeds and we and we can just go too far and get like, well, seeds do this and when they're planted and, yeah, and this is what point. happens when they sprout and like we don't add details that Jesus doesn't add. Uh, I think there's a reason that he said what he said. And so we, we kind of have this idea that... Um, once, once a seed is planted in a certain soil, it, it can never change out of, and you know, yeah, real seeds don't hop up and, and run over to a better part of the field. <laughs> um, but I, I think, but if seeds aren't seeds in this story, right. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, but, but I, I think for sure in, in this category of those that, that sort of sprout up and, uh, but then immediate, immediately fall away. Those are his disciples, right? This is, this is Peter, chopping a guy's ear off to defend his Lord. And then like three days later, it denies him three times. Yep. Um, but that's not where Peter stays. Right. And what is, what does Jesus right. pray in the garden? He says, I, I'm praying that you will not fall away. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, j- just because I, I think he's, he's probably, you know, probably speaking to his disciples, uh, here uh, as those who sprout up, but then, uh, you know, due to persecution, yep. fall away. That That's, you know, basically 11 of the 12 disciples. I think the 12th one probably falls into uh, the next category, but. Right. And so, yeah. <laughs> and, and, that's a, and that's a great point. So then the next category is, as for those who are sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word but cares of the world uh, and of the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and proves unfruitful. And so I think you're right. There's, there's Judas, right? There's, um, there's those who, uh, for uh, all kinds of reasons, this is, this is the rich young ruler, yeah. right? Go and sell all you have. And he went away. What did it say? He went away depressed because he had many riches, right? Yeah. These, the, these, those are uh, who he's talking to there. 
Um, and then he talks about, uh, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields uh, in one case a hundredfold, another 60, another 30. I think there's a couple a couple ways to understand this. Number one, I think he, he is talking about those, uh, you know, I, I think as you said, you know, Peter gets into this category, right? Like, <laughs> But I think he's talking about himself, like he's talking about Christ, the first fruits, right? He's talking about, you know, uh, it's interesting as for uh, what was sown on good soil. I think what he's recognizing is that he's the good soil, right? And so those who are in him bear fruit. And so I think the other thing that I think you can do with this is you can also look at this as, um, kind of as, as points in Israel's history, and I think that one of the things that um, that this parable teaches us is that Jesus has come to usher in an era of good soil. Like we, we, we can't divorce this from the gospel message that Jesus came to give new hearts. If soil is hearts and God gives us a new heart in the new covenant, then what he's giving us is good soil. And so essentially what, what Jesus is talking about here is that there are all kinds of eras and all kinds of different types of people who are trying to get into the kingdom of God by either their own merits or whatever the case may be. There are those who are enthusiastic about it, but in the end, they fall away. There are those who um, who seem to be following, but eventually get caught up in the cares of the world. But at the end of the day, the people who stay in are the people who have been given good soil hearts by Jesus Christ. And so he's, he's really declaring here in that his kingdom is a time when the, the king has arrived, brought his kingdom, and ushered in an era of good soil. And he's, he's the one who's a, a, going to give us uh, new hearts. I, I think that's kind of one of the details that I think a lot of people lose on this. Yeah, I think, I think people often fall, on, fall off the ledge, as they say, on both sides, not the ditch, fall off yeah. the ledge on both sides. Because we, we look at, like what, how Ben said, we look at this very individualistically, and then the other things, the other side is we look at this like very much like technically, whereas like what you're saying, this is this is a this is a parable of what the kingdom of God looks like, a kingdom of men and women who are in the good soil bearing fruit to the world, right? Where the other uh, where the other people who would even profess to maybe be in the kingdom aren't producing those fruits because they're not actually in Christ. I think that's, if we start looking at it like as a, as a kingdom parable and start thinking about what does it actually mean when we're in the kingdom of God, we can start looking at these, these parables with the ears to actually hear them like Jesus wanted us to. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And I think this is, um, so again, because the context here is the, is a kingdom parable. Jesus is, is teaching his disciples what the kingdom actually looks like. And if, if we lose that context, like you said, we lose the whole point. We make it too individualistic or we get too technical with it. And I've heard lots of pastors who who talk about, like you said, what seeds do and how they begin to germinate and all these kinds of things. Like Jesus isn't here teaching botany, right? Like <laughs> Jesus is here. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. And so the, the main message of this whole thing comes, you can go to Colossians chapter one, verse 13 on this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The whole point here is that there are all kinds of people with all kinds of different hearts who can't get into the kingdom. The only way you can get into the kingdom is through the son giving you good soil hearts. That, and, and so I think what he's beginning to teach is this is what the kingdom looks like. And there's all kinds of different people who are going to try to get into the kingdom in all kinds of different ways. In this kingdom, there's only one way in and it's through me. I'm the good soil. You have to be in me and you need to be given a, a new heart. 
I, I think that's the, the main, if, if there's a big idea about this parable, I think that's the big idea. And I think if we divorce it from its kingdom context, then we miss all that. So the pushback on this, then we mentioned it earlier about uh, the, this is often used as a, an Arminian salvation passage. The pushback. So let's. I want to hear what you guys think about the the alternative argument about the people. Like, there's no reference in the in the in the in the text about the people who are choked out by the worlds that they weren't produced in good soil. That they're just choked out by weeds. And we're going to see in the next parable that weeds grow right alongside with the with the wheat. Right. right. So. The pushback that we would hear is that this would imply that people are making that there's an effort made on our behalf that we we all are Calvinists here. But the pushback would say this is this is a verse that's actually teaching the opposite. So what would you say to say, somebody who says that this is teaching that there can be those who receive the, so, the soil, receive Christ, but then because of things that happened in circumstances of the world, they fall away. Well, I would say the the very definition of of a believer, of a Christian, of one who is in Christ, um, is that they're fruitful. Um, and so it's only the fourth soil that bears fruit. Specifically, it is the third soil, the one that is choked out by weeds, that we're told is proven unfruitful. Right. Um, you, there's no such thing as unfruitful Christians, right? Good Good trees bear good fruit. Right. So the fact that the third type of soil doesn't bear any fruit, right? So, and I think, I, so there's a couple things I'd say to that. Um, I, I would completely agree with everything Ben said. I would also just say what's interesting is that, you know, uh, in, in Luke's account of this, Jesus talks about how we don't cause seeds to grow. In fact, he tells he in Mark he tells the, the parable this way, where he says the the uh, farmer goes sows the seed, and... goes to sleep, and wakes <laughs> up. Right, he has nothing to do with how it grows. Right, so the whole point here is that only God makes things grow, and so all of this is a work of God. That's number one. But the other thing I would say is that um, uh, take this in line with you know. Hebrews 6, where it talks about those who, who've tasted and who've heard and, and all those kinds of things, but, but fall away. Um, what's interesting about those passages is that it never talks about their fruitfulness. It talks about what they've experienced. So the third ki- kind of plant, we'll just, we'll just say, they experience being a plant for a bit, right? They experience growing up sometimes right around other plants that don't end up getting choked out. They experience all those things, but they never bear fruit. They get choked out before they bear fruit. Um, and so I, I think that's what um, the New Testament, how the New Testament differentiates. And the truth is, again, think about this in light of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord. And and notice it didn't, it, all it says is we did this, we did this, we did this. It doesn't talk about the fruit that they bore, but the tasks that they did. And so throughout the New Testament, it's only Christians who bear fruit. And it's only the, the fourth type of soil that bears fruit. So I don't think that that's a, a plausible. But but what I do think is interesting, and, and here's here's a bit of an application point for, for all of us who are listening, but particularly those who are pastors, is that it's really hard for you. It's really hard for you for a certain period of time to tell the difference between the third and the fourth type of soil. Mm-hmm. Right? It's really hard. And especially as a pastor, I don't think it's, it's wrong for me or for anyone to, to say and to warn somebody who you believe is, you know, part of, you know, in the fourth type of soil to say, as Jesus said, don't fall away. Yeah. Right. Don't, don't yeah. be that third soil. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, just 
it's it's not it's not wrong for for us to uh to to give those those warnings Warnings, yeah yeah and i've heard uh, thomas schreiner talk about how um the warning passages of apostasy in the scripture are there as the very means by which god preserves his saints right so the very the very fear of falling away is part of the means that god actually uses to preserve us um i also like what mark dever says when he talks about uh it was in a, a sermon that he talked about um uh in terms of uh like saying the sinner's prayer and like how do they do like altar calls or conversion how does he ask basically how does he ask people to respond to the gospel in his church mark dever basically says every time somebody basically commits their life to christ or does some sort of prayer and he's like i'm not against the sinner's prayer just that's not your ticket in right and so every time he just says so somebody would be like i'm a christian now and his response is always yeah we'll see <laughs> which is so like like think about the uh the kind of north american crusade uh yeah. context that we live in where it's like say a prayer and now no matter what we anybody tells you yeah. no matter whatever anybody tells you people might say that this didn't count you but might you, you, feel you like your you're t- not yeah, you yeah. might feel like it but you know you have your ticket to heaven and here's Deborah going like yeah we'll see come back next week <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we'll see we'll see like let's let a lifetime show whether or not you actually bear fruit or not yeah and i think it's absolutely appropriate for us as pastors specifically but as leaders within the church as small group leaders as people who have gotten to know other men and men and women in the church to like when we've developed that relationship with them where we can call people on things and we can just say hey like dude i don't i don't see any fruit of salvation in your life i think that's a that's something that we should do (laughs) like that's something we should do more of in our churches not less of yeah and and it's important to not get carried away with what the fruit actually is you said this some some time ago, I remember you saying this that you're not judged by the amount of people that come to your church. It's about you being faithful. Yeah. So the, what's the fruit in this situation? Remember, is the fruits of the spirit, love, forbearance. That's exactly right. It's not yeah. how many people you've yeah. convinced into the kingdom right. by clever words. Yeah. It's about how much of these things you've cultivated in yourself. Yeah. Right? Amen. Let's just put a little caveat here. So so fruit does not equal how much you tithe. How many things you serve at in your church? How many people you've brought to church? How many people you've prayed the sinner's prayer with, right? This is not what we're talking about when we talk about your, fruit. We're your talking fruit about, might lead you to do all of those things. And hopefully it does. Yeah. Well, the, the, service, but, the service should be an outcoming of the fruit, amen. right? Like yeah. not, the, not the reverse. We, we often right. yeah, look exactly. at this and be like, I serve in the worship team. I serve, I'm a small group leader, um, whatever else. But a greeter, you're grumpy whatever. the whole time. But exactly. Nobody wants to be around but nobody, you. <laughs> but nobody thinks of me as a loving person, a right. peaceful person, somebody who's got patience, kindness, or goodness means I actually don't have any fruit. I have yeah. good service, That's right. but no fruit. That's right. And then, and and let's just like be honest here. Like that's that's that was a Pharisee. Pharisees fasted and they yeah. prayed and they gave alms and yeah. they did charity, all those kinds of things. But Jesus said of them that they were whitewashed tombs, right? They looked great on the outside, but inside there was dead men's bones. And so um, his whole his point there is that you know the fruit isn't what you're doing; the fruit is what sort of uh, life you're cultivating. Yeah. So when he says, "Let your righteousness exceed the, that of the Pharisees," That's it's right. not it's Internal. not do more; it's right. do differently. It's That's a diff- right. it's a different kind of righteousness. That's right. Yeah, that absolutely. So um, that's, uh, that's kind of the, the parable of the sower. And I think the answer key, so here's, here's where I think this, uh, the next couple of weeks go, is Jesus goes into several other kingdom parables. And, and this is slow uh, for any of our friends who are into covenantal theology. They'll appreciate this term. This is progressive revelation, I think, by Jesus. He is slowly unfolding 
the doctrine of the kingdom of God to his disciples, particularly in Matthew chapter 13. He's teaching them what to expect from the kingdom. And, uh, and I think this is really important for us to know. And so if, if you're with us last week, you recognize that one of the first things he sets up is here's the big story. The big story is there's a kingdom established. I came and set up a new kingdom. My kingdom is at odds with Satan's kingdom. Oh, and by the way, I bound him up. <laughs> so now you're free to plunder his kingdom. And now he comes in and says, what does plundering Satan's kingdom looks like? It looks like winning people uh, into this kingdom, bringing people into this kingdom. And how do we bring people into this new kingdom? <clears throat> we, we bring them in through me. There's one means. People with hard hearts don't get in. People who cares of the world, they don't get in. Um, you get in through having a new heart and you only get a new heart through conversion. So one of my favorite parts of this parable, when you read a couple parables later, when we when we get to the mustard seed, you, you want to talk about plundering Satan's kingdom. Amen. Right, who, so who, who are the ones that come and, and snatch up the first the first seed? Right, the, the, the birds. birds of the air. That's right. right. The birds of the air who represent Satan's, you know, those in Satan's kingdom. That's right. Who is it that comes flocking into the branches for the of, shelter? For the, sh you know, into the into the shelter of the branches of God's kingdom, represented by the mustard seed. It's the birds of the air. Amen. That's that looks like enemies becoming friends. Something like that. <laughs> yes, that looks like enemies becoming friends. Okay, so you can kind of see where we're kind of going with this uh, series. We think that this parable says a whole lot more than just the the need to evangelize. And I think the other thing is, is that one of the things that the very individualistic interpretation of this passage does is it almost takes the onus off each and every one of us to like, well, your job is just to share the gospel. And, you know, what kind of soil they land on, that's somebody else's problem. That's God's problem. And there's a degree to which that's true. We would all agree with that. Like, we don't change somebody's heart. God determines the hearts. But I think that when we focus that this, you're not you're not just the one sowing the seed here. You're, you're also um, described in, in the soil here. And so there is that don't fall away. Don't let the cares of the world choke you out, right? Don't let Satan steal um, what God has given to you. And so there is a sort of preservation in this passage that's really important because ultimately what Jesus is going to be teaching us is that his kingdom conquers the kingdom of Satan and that everyone who's in his kingdom is in an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed, that they will never be snatched away from. So, hey, optimistic. We're going there. Bam! <laughs> that was a mic drop in verbal terms. Uh, anybody want to add anything to this? Anything that we missed on this parable that you want to... No, I feel like I have a whole new appreciation for it. There you go. Well, hopefully you're not the only one. Um, okay, so there we are. Uh, that's our episode this week. Thanks for being with us, Ben. My pleasure. Um, and uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, go to rebelliancemedia.com. Uh, one of the many things that Ben does as part of the Rebel team is he uh, oversees the website. He posts the blog posts that we all send to him. He edits them. Uh, he does a whole lot for uh, the, the Rebel Alliance, and uh, we're so thankful to have him part of the team. So we're glad that you finally get to uh, meet him because we've been enjoying his friendship. 
friend? Yep, yep. You're allowed to call it that. <laughs> I don't know why you made that so awkward. I don't know, I don't know either. I was kind of waiting for you to jump in and also say that you appreciate Ben, but you know. No, I just, I just We do love Ben. We love everybody who supports us, and we love everybody who likes and shares these videos the most. So <laughs> that's that's how you get. Uh, um, that's how you get on the podcast. He <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah. shared the podcast. <laughs> and then eventually he worked his way up. up. He worked his way up. Yeah. He hit a certain number of likes and, and shares. Yeah. We won't say what that is, Met West Melbourne. <laughs> 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 we just brought him right in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you're almost there. Keep working. <laughs> Look a little harder, Trevor. <laughs> so, Alrighty. Um, so that's, that's good. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>